Hi, I'm Becky. And I'm Helen. And welcome to another episode of the Salty Mums podcast. Exploring how as Christian mums we stay the salt of the earth in today's culture with women sharing their stories and wisdom. Hello, everybody. Hi, Becky. Hi, Helen. How are you? I am okay, thank you. Yeah, how are you doing? Yeah, good. It, it does feel, we're recording this in January at the moment, and it does feel that time of year when it's just like splatter virus time mm. and just trying to avoid everything. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, we, we were okay over Christmas, um, but Henry then got croup on Sunday night. Uh, this Sunday? This Sunday. Oh, I'm he had one night of croup. He sat, sat on the sofa all day, had a long nap in the afternoon. And went to bed and woke up fine, which well, is really weird. Good. Yeah. So, but yeah, but yeah, it does feel like, um, I don't like January as it is, but. Also, yeah. I would like to moan about the rain situation during school uh, run. Yeah. Why? Why does it always rain at quarter past three? That is an actual thing. Yeah. It, it absolutely chucked it down yesterday as well, didn't it? It could be like, like dry biblically. all day. And then all of a sudden, quarter past three, Rolly's out. Yeah. I'm not very happy about that. I know. It's just raining all the time at the moment, isn't it? It it's is. Bit, yeah. January. Nah. Yeah. Bring on February. No, that's not actually that much better, is it? No. But there is March. cream eggs in the supermarket, so... Oh, you don't like that, do you? I absolutely love a cream egg, Becky. Oh, it annoys me that they're out. There's no room for annoyance about oh. cream eggs on this podcast. I'm sorry about my creaky chair, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, whilst we waffle, we have got lovely Liz Walker with us this morning. It is a pleasure to have Liz with us. Um, Liz worships at the church that both Becky and I go to. Um, she is a GP, married to Simon with two grown-up children. Um, but anyway, do you want to do you want to tell us who you are? <laughs> Have I taken it all, or is there more to tell us? Oh, thank you for having me on the podcast. Our um, pleasure, Helen and Becky. Um, well, a little bit more about myself. I'm um, now not so much a working mum as a working empty nester, Aww. as they've both grown up and, and left you seem home. quite happy about that <laughs> yeah. like, no. yeah. <laughs> no, this, is, this is what's meant to happen they are meant to grow up so yeah I'm um I'm working as a full-time GP and uh that's that's been for about the past 18 years or so and before that I worked part-time mm-hmm. when the children were younger mm. um interesting job to have at the moment i suspect being a gp or by interesting i mean hard work (laughs) i think well it's always been interesting and i'm actually naturally a very nosy person and being a gp gives me (laughs) professional permission to ask lots of questions to people that's what i should have done i am very nosy too yeah so um so that you know it just it's the right job for me really (laughs) Do you feel like, though, that being a receptionist in a GP surgery is better if you're nosy? No, because they're not really nosy. They just need mm. to know about one line oh, of why okay. you need to see the doctor. But yeah. Like, yeah, okay. And is, well, so. my dad used to be a practice manager and I used to work at the practice that he ran. And you'd sometimes get, to, you know, if you if you were trying to be, if you tried to be nosy, you could get quite badly told off mm. if you looked. I don't really want the like... What's the word? Like the responsibility of diagnosing somebody, but I'd, li- I'd like to know what's wrong with them. <laughs> what, what job would you recommend for me? <laughs> well, I might have to think about that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so we're going to chat to Liz about um, a few different things. But um, um, Liz, we've already mentioned that you've got two older children and um, Becky and I both at the end of parenting younger children. Um, 
obviously there'll be people listening that have got a whole range of different ages of children but the thought for me certainly of um parenting teenagers is well not just quite intimidating absolutely terrifying because <laughs> quite frankly right now i have quite a lot of control over, <laughs> over what they do and who they like and and etc so <coughs> can you explain any differences between parenting younger children and older children to us well the first thought that that comes to mind is you're increasingly obviously letting them make more of their own decisions mm. and taking their own risks, but supporting them while they do that. It's not the same sort of support that you're standing there waiting for them to fall off the climbing frame. Mm. Um, but you are, might be staying up late to talk about how something went, mm. uh, talking it through. You might be um, talking about consequences beforehand when you've got a... Um, when you've got something they want to do. Um, it's also about being prepared to have your views and your um, beliefs challenged mm. because um, I think saying because I said so when you're a <laughs> mum of teenagers yeah. just, just is not really yeah. going to work. Yeah. Um, I think you also have to be quite flexible and you might think I'm not going to let them do that until that age, mm. but that might not be right for your particular young person. Yeah. at that stage um, I mean there's some legal stuff obviously like you yeah. know, <laughs> what you're allowed to when you're allowed to have a Facebook account but that doesn't seem to bother most people no. um, and um, then I think meeting the um, every other mummy um, I've never met mm. her but there is she is an apparent person who because every other mummy yeah. allows <laughs> their child to do x y or z yeah. but when you talk to the mums you actually know um, she's never that mm. one yeah. uh, so Trying to negotiate with what what your young, old perhaps your older child sees as other parents allowing, mm. um, you've got to have you've got to be able to talk and listen. Um, <clears throat> so I think that's about communication, isn't it? Mm. Um, and communicating can be hard with older yeah. older yeah. ones because sometimes they don't want to communicate. Yeah, yeah that's they true. They really don't want to communicate. But <sighs> communication isn't just about words. And I was thinking about um, the five love languages, which many mm. people may be aware of, but is about the different ways that people mm. give and yeah. receive love. Little children, you just have to shower all sorts of love on them and mm. uh, they generally respond to all of them. But but um, as children grow up, they get more, um, they develop more in the way that they respond positively mm. to mm. you. And that might be through touch. It might be through uh, how you speak to them it might be through giving them a bit of time it might be taking them a snack mm -hmm. different sorts of things and you have to watch out for what what are the ways that seem to work for your children mm, yeah do you think that's fluid as well I was thinking about this the other day because um my Samuel was always a toucher like to the extent that I mean I that is my least favorite love language so it drives me barmy because all three of the people I live with probably their love language was touch so God's got a sense of humor, hasn't he? But, um, and then we went through this period, probably of about 18 months where he did not want to be touched. He didn't want to hold my hand. He didn't want to hug me, not even in the house. It wasn't an embarrassment <clears throat> thing. It was just a, I don't want to be touched. And literally within the last few weeks, I would say, maybe just before Christmas, he started saying, can I have a hug, mummy? And some of that was to avoid bedtime because... <laughs> <laughs> That's what kids do, isn't it? But yeah. more recently in particular, there's definitely, it's kind of gone back again. And I think, I, I mean, they're only seven and eight, but I've definitely noticed this like constant fluidity of you kind of thinking that you've got it. And then all of a sudden they'll mix it up again. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. There's definitely fluidity when they're younger, mm. um, and and it's probably not fixed totally yeah. until you're well into adulthood. Yeah. Maybe it changes through adulthood as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I guess you your kids must be on the first generations of us teenagers moving through social media mm. times, mm. and I think that's probably the thing that terrifies me more than anything yeah. when you see. Well, you see these horrific news stories, don't you, of things shared. And um, I know as a teacher, um, years ago, one of the things with social media is that, whereas bullying in my day, which makes me sound <laughs> very old, but I'm really not. Really <laughs> um, um, bullying ended at school, you know, and you could, mm. you could go home and that was a place of safety. Whereas with social media, it can pervade into mm. those areas of your life, which used to be safe how how did you handle the social media years did you try and keep your kids off it did you watch it i know i know this question's off off script mm. a bit <laughs> i think well my children are 30 and 27 so oh, okay so the same they're quite yeah. a so lot you are old enough to be our mum yes I, <laughs> yeah. I just yeah. thought i'd I, I, yeah, 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 that's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm okay it's just with that. You look so young. We yeah, yeah, I would have guessed. Talented, yeah. <laughs> 59. Mm-hmm. And I have 108 days until I'm 60, but who's counting? By the time this goes out, I might have passed that amazing milestone. And a friend said to me, You'll be just as fabulous then as you are now, Aww. which was lovely. Yeah. Lovely thing we to need say. We friends like that. Yeah, we all need <laughs> friends like that, don't we? So, um, so that's, so they were. It wasn't as prevalent, mm, I would say, in yeah. terms of the the Instagrams and Snapchats and the things that I don't even know about now mm. um, for for teenagers. It was it was beginning, and there were some pressures, mm. um, but the, it was still something I think people could young people could sw- switch off for mm. from. And I think it is it is a really difficult area. Mm. Um, I did have a couple of books which I'd mentioned, which I've read about these things, and they're by um, a woman called Catherine Hill mm. from uh, Care for the Family, who do a lot of work with um, mm. parenting and family life. And uh, one's called Left to Their Own Devices mm. about parenting in a digital world. And yeah. she's updating that on a regular basis. I think it's a really good, helpful book to think about mm. how you approach it, because it isn't fixed. Mm. And we said these things are, mm. are fluid. Mm. You might let one child do one thing and another child that might not be good for them. Um, And then she's written another book about the emotional emotional health of children. Can't quite remember the name of that one. Um, A mind of their own building their emotional well-being. So we can put links to those in the the show notes at the end. But they're... um, I think these are things that you can't just easily... There's no quick answer. Mm. Um, and, And we've all probably seen some very sad things yeah. about where parents didn't realize yeah. what their children were yeah. getting involved with yeah. and I think that teenage well not a, I don't think teenage brains are wired very differently to adult mm. brains and to children's brains mm. um, they don't have uh, that ability to think about consequences mm. and to think long term and they very much live in the immediate so their their feeling of um distress Mm. and pain is all consuming when Mm. they have it Mm. and I think one of our roles as parents is to be that calm person who says it's this not just to knock it away and say oh this will pass oh Mm. there are other fish in the sea or you know you'll get another boyfriend or whatever (laughs) Um, but to actually help them 
get through those intense moments mm. and be there, whether that's to be a distraction to, uh, you know, to do along, come alongside them and do something like mm. tidy your sock drawer, mm. um, because that's a distraction, or whether it's um, in some way just trying to explain how intense these feelings can be, mm. but feelings can change. Mm. Because when you are in, um, as a as a teenager or a young person, a very intense feeling. Mm. I think that happens as adults still. You can think, when is this going to end? Mm. But mm. for teenagers, they haven't got that experience sure. that it will end. If and it's it, the first time you've really felt a really, really strong feeling like that, mm. you, you don't know it's going to end. Mm. And it, like with toddlers, they get these intense feelings, don't they? And, don't, and they don't know how to regulate them. As, as adults, you hope that you've developed a sense of knowing how to regulate those intense emotions. But as a teenager, you're stuck probably in a place where you've, you don't know how to regulate them, but you also don't want to express them because you're, you can be intensely embarrassed as a teenager, don't you? You don't want to talk to people. So, yeah, it must be. Well, I remember, remember being a teenager, but you wasn't know, that long ago, was it, Becky? Not too long. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it's sort of. Um, I hated being a teenager. Yeah, so did I. Wouldn't I wouldn't go back if I no. could. I think yeah. that's one of the things that worries me about parenting teenagers because you, you can, I can remember mm. how hard it was and how, yeah, how stressful it felt. Mm. Well, I think Helen, you had both of my teenagers in uh, youth group, didn't you? Well, they were lovely though. <laughs> <laughs> they were entirely different looking after someone else's yeah. teenagers. <laughs> Were there times with your uh, particularly teenagers, I guess, Liz, that you would like, I think, again, I've, I'm a control freak. So were there times <laughs> where you really wanted to interfere, but you knew that you kind of have to let them make choices that hmm. they're going to regret? <laughs> well, many times, hmm. many times. How and I'm sure, not, though, like, how do you not I'm sure there are, and if you asked my, you know, two adult children that, that um, they would say there are many times where I got it wrong. And I know we'll I get them on next week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think some some parents c- continue to expect their children to tell them everything. Mm-hmm. So if you think about when you were 15, did you actually tell your mum everything? Absolutely not. No. So there is no reason why your children at the ages of young teenagers, older teenagers mm-hmm. are going to tell you everything, mm-hmm. even though you believe maybe that they, yeah. they will and they always so have true. done, but they'll be changing. And I think somehow we need to give them permission to tell us stuff Mm -hmm. but also recognizing they won't tell us everything Mm -hmm. um and giving them permission to tell you stuff that you won't they know you won't like or that you won't approve of Mm -hmm. um but it is scary Mm -hmm. it is scary how Um, did you do that how did you sort of get that foundation of you can tell me anything even if you know i'm not gonna like it what well, one one way is to actually say that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to. I'm I'm not sure I did it brilliantly, <clears throat> to be honest, um, because you you think you're doing things absolutely mm-hmm. fine, and then later on you find out that <laughs> they remember something that you said <laughs> that really wasn't particularly helpful. Um, I go, did I really say that? Yes, you did. I can remember <laughs> you saying it. Um, so I think. Not only not only saying it, but actually being aware of your own reactions. Mm-hmm. And if you have reacted to something on the telly mm-hmm. um, that you've watched with them or that you've heard or you're talking about something and it's been a negative reaction, they're going to take that as to say, I'm, um, oh, if, if that happens to me, I'm right that. Yeah. 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 Uh, I so that. so yeah. you, you would, because they obviously pick that up much more mm-hmm. as they get older. Um so I think if you realize that you've said or done something or reacted something mm. in not a very positive way, mm. then you can say that. Mm. So actually, do you know, thinking about that, I, I didn't really react very positively mm. to that, did it? But I, 
that it wasn't really right. Mm. And I do think, you know, so you can, as they get older, you can talk to them about yeah. that. Mm. Um, and that is also modeling talking through your points of view sure. and not getting stuck in one point of view because mm. today I believe this mm-hmm. and I've now said it so strongly that I can't actually change my yeah. mind. Yeah. Um, so actually modeling the fact that we change our minds mm. and that we think about things and that we can change our opinion. And I think modeling and letting them see see you making up if you've mm-hmm. had had a bit of a um, falling out mm. with your partner mm. or with them, <clears throat> actually apologizing to your child if you've done mm. something yeah. that you shouldn't have done, um, lost your temper or something. Yeah. I lost a temper did that no. <laughs> <laughs> never no. never yeah. not here mm. it was actually me yesterday morning because because it was raining uh, it was maybe <laughs> because i had had half a bottle of wine with my friends the night before and i was i felt fine but then in the next morning i was definitely not i was like impatient and i snapped <laughs> at them because the usual happened can you go and clean your teeth please why do i have to clean my teeth and i was like You've been alive for eight and a half years. Every single morning of that life, you've had to clean your teeth. Why this morning? Why every morning do you have to argue with this? This is like a thing that happens every morning. Anyway, and I reflected on the fact that it was just because I was feeling really impatient. (laughs) So yeah, I'd lost my temper. And then went to work feeling absolutely terrible because I'd lost my temper and then apologized to them after school. (laughs) Anyway, Liz, um, you and I have chatted in church before about the challenges of um children who have decided not to carry on coming to church mm-hmm. um and i wondered if you had any wisdom any kind of thoughts on that, that that might be helpful for us to think through especially people with kind of younger children or maybe people that are going through that as well and whether you have any reflections right. on that for okay. us well in the um teenage years when when my children were, were both coming to church they um did help with younger age groups and the Sunday groups and the midweek mm-hmm. groups. And I think that gave them a, um, a sense of responsibility for that mm-hmm. team and turning up to take part in that. So that was a good thing. They had friends in the youth groups. Mm-hmm. Um, and both of our children were very involved in the church activities and made strong declarations of faith as, mm-hmm. as mid-teens. But as they've got older, they've both um, turned away mm-hmm. um, chosen not to be involved or felt that they don't believe the mm. same things that they believed when they were younger mm. um, and ultimately you have to respect mm. um, the decisions that, that other people make mm. they people have to make decisions of faith mm. for themselves um, I think having other Christian friends other Christian adult friends mm. <clears throat> who know them and um, want to keep in touch with them or that you see mm. when when people come back yeah. to visit is is helpful because they're still uh contacts mm. um we have a system in in our church where uh, young people who go away to university uh mm. can have someone who who isn't their parents who keeps in contact with them uh, um which is a um yeah i think that can be helpful for some young mm. people but maybe doesn't work yeah. for all of them um it is a it is a big sadness mm. when something that's very important to you sure. um, your children decide not to um not not to follow mm. um but god doesn't turn away from them yeah. mm. and i i as i reflect on this i i think that there are aspects of my um both my children's characters which i still believe are god given my son has mm. a real passion for helping people experiencing injustice mm. and would fight 
uh, to the death, maybe <laughs> for, for that, um, would possibly fight to the level of going to prison for that, he mm. said, um, if he felt that was the right thing mm. to do. Mm. And, and my daughter has a, has a really compassionate commitment to her friends going through challenges and mm. she's a midwife, um, and for pregnant women going through preg problems in pregnancy. Mm. And I, I think that's a, uh, something that I see as God given yeah, in their sure. lives. And obviously, you know, we're Christians, we continue mm. to pray. Yeah, um, and nobody's done, nobody's finished mm. until, um, until the end mm. of their actual life. Um, whenever that time comes. Um, so we continue to pray and we continue to, um, value their choices, mm. uh, their life choices and mm. their, um, mm. you know, the, the really good things about their lives and still want them to be, mm. you know, part of, uh, what we, what we do. Mm. Um, I think that's so helpful because I think you can get, get so, bogged down can't you in the sadness of not necessarily even just like you know not, them not coming to church or not having faith or whatever but I think of other people who have you know had aspirations for their children and that ha hasn't worked out and actually it's, it's good to acknowledge that that is a sadness for you but also there is still so much good in their life like yes that is, of course that is god-given yeah yeah I've I've got that not with my kids at the moment <clears throat> but my husband we we lost our daughter six years ago and he lost his faith through that and it it is a real sadness seeing someone that you love mm. lose their faith as such because especially when it's something that you shared together as a yeah. as a family as such but um yeah so Liz if you could give mums in this phase a sort of teenage phase one piece of advice what would it be I think it's listen Mm. and be curious mm. um, because when you hear things that they're saying mm. um, try not to immediately react but to sort of ask another question mm -hmm. get them to tell you a little bit more about mm. what they have just said yeah um, that's interesting mm. I hadn't thought about it like that mm. um, or I'm surprised at that can you mm. ex can you tell me more about what mm. you think or why you've said that um, you could inside be going yeah. <laughs> okay and um but but listening and and that sort of sense of being curious because you mm -hmm. don't actually know what's happening inside a, anybody else's brain sure. even if you've been you know i've been married for quite a long time i still don't know what's inside my husband's brain mm -hmm. and thankfully he doesn't know what's inside <laughs> mine but you sort of think that you do sometimes yeah and as your young person's changing you don't know what's in their mm -hmm. head and they may have always reacted like this i can particularly remember my, my daughter used to love being up at the front um you know leading the songs actions mm. and um dancing around and then there suddenly came a point where she was too embarrassed to do that oh. and you no know, so i i don't know what was going mm. on in her head when one day she didn't feel mm. comfortable doing yeah. that but she she didn't and um i would for, for quite a few more weeks i would try and push her to go up and she, would, mm. she wouldn't so that had changed mm. um so i think that's that being being listening and curious mm. and if it can have two things yeah. then the um because that's, that's already two things um <laughs> I think don't think that any emotional reaction is the final thing. Sure. You know, the slamming the door, screaming I hate you. And I'd have to say neither of my children ever said that to me. Thank I'm so grateful for that. But oh, mine have you already know, said it, Liz. But that doesn't mean that is the yeah. end thing. Yeah. Um whatever it is. It's not mm. it's that feeling at that moment that's all consuming yep. and the next moment or five minutes later or the next morning it might be it, mm. it will be different. It's it's funny what you're saying about listening, though, because that just seems to be a common thread that mm. nearly everyone that we've talked to on this podcast mm. talks about. It's just the importance mm. of feeling listened to. Mm -hmm. 
And it's maybe something that we're just really bad at as humans generally. You know, we like to, yeah, get our own opinion mm. or our own thoughts mm. out before just sort of sitting with someone and just hearing what they have to say and how they perceive things. So um, but that's really helpful. Thank you. So are you told, you've told us, Liz, that you are a GP. Um, can you tell us why you chose general practice? Can you remember why you chose <laughs> apart it? Being very nosy. Yeah, apart from the very nosy bit. <laughs> so um, the, I can remember working in, in the hospital and uh, it was quite a sad on-call evening, actually, because I dealt with five women who had had miscarriages. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought, oh, no, not another miscarriage. <laughs> and then I just, it just like hit me. I don't know if it was, you know, if it was the voice of God sort of reminding me, uh, but that this wasn't just another miscarriage. Mm. It was a woman who'd lost a baby yeah. that she probably desperately mm. wanted. And, and I thought, mm, I don't think I can do this, do the same stuff all the time. Mm. Um, and I would like to have more variety. Mm. Uh, so I'd already thought quite a lot about general practice and the, the best thing about it is that you you have such a variety through the day. I could see a six-week-old baby mm. and the next patient's 92 years old. Mm. And I could see somebody who's got mental health problems mm. and the next person's worried about a very small spot on their back, mm. but they can't see it, so they're worried it might be cancer. Mm. Um, and sometimes really, what sound like really simple things can just make a, a big difference to people's lives. Mm. Uh, so I, that's, that's what I... I mean, if I was a cardiologist... Every single person would either have a heart problem or not have a heart problem. And if they don't have a heart problem, I say, go back to your GP. And if they do have a heart problem, you try and fix it. So, Mm. you know, I mean, where's the interest in that? I'm sorry to any cardiologists who are listening, but, you know, come and try general practice. It's great. And are there any ways that your faith has helped you with being a GP? Yes. Yes. Mm. Um, very recently, I sat outside my practice and said, I don't think I can go in and do any work today, Lord. It's it's too hard and it's too horrible. Mm. Um, but I had to. Yeah. <laughs> so I was uh, I was praying and I just I had a sense of, of peace and strength that came mm. from uh, that came from the Holy Spirit. Um, mm. And I think I mean, that's happened on a number of occasions, not that I wanted to not going to work frequently, but mm. that does happen sometimes. I think it happens to anyone, whatever mm. job you've got. Mm. Um, um, and also having a sense of compassion for people because mm. I have worked in some quite deprived areas mm. and uh, some people are living with the experiences of, of life choices or life experiences that they maybe they haven't chosen, but mm. that's what's happened to them. Uh, and some of them can present quite difficult and challenging problems. Um, I've had people being sort of rude and violent towards me. Um, and yet yeah, each one of those people is, a, is somebody that mm. is created by God and loved mm. by God and, and actually is deserving of a compassionate and a professional approach, not a, mm. um, not a dismissive approach. And I think that's, um, you know, that I'm not saying it's only Christians that have that view of mm. compassion, but mm. I think it's um, a... Uh, that's definitely something that I, I know God has grown in me over the years. Mm. And I, uh, obviously the value of people's lives. I think yeah. I'm very concerned about the possibility of euthanasia coming into mm. legislation here uh, because yeah. I think we should compa- care for people compassionately to the natural mm. end of their lives. Mm. Um, so that I, I've been, at times in the past, I've been, more uh, active in in um, organisations that would sort of work against mm. that coming in. Yeah. Um, 
when you were, when you had young children at home, Liz, can you can you share any um, wisdom about how you juggle um, being a, a GP and being mum? I'm I'm speaking. I'm just being selfish, really, because I work full time. And in fact, when you were talking about um, like the importance of listening and when they want to talk, not necessarily when you have a slot in your diary for them to talk. Um, I find that a real struggle, the, the kind of the the bit where you're trying to catch up with emails in the evening or something and they come and say, oh, mummy, this happened at school today. And you've got to then switch your brain into mum mm. mode rather than mm. work mode. Is is there is there things that helped you with that? Well, as a person. Mm. <laughs> and um, I worked part time until my children were back. 13 and 10 Mm -hmm. and then due to an episode of illness Mm -hmm. um, my husband wasn't able to work for a while and so we swapped around and I worked full time Mm -hmm. and he became a house husband Mm -hmm. um, otherwise known in our life as a domestic god (laughs) 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 his name for himself or your name for him (laughs) that's mine I mean I had I had friends who wanted to you know pay pay for him to do stuff in their house uh, not sure how serious that was at the time but we won't go into what's left yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it was like doing their shopping their cleaning and their cooking was sort of, yeah wow. so I mean I I wouldn't be able to do my full-time job without the support mm. of my husband and he who does now do a lot of other things not mm. just working working at home um but does do a lot of other things now um but uh when I was younger I had uh I did have nannies uh, mm. when they were younger, and then I for a number of years I had a, a friend who was a um, homeschooling her four daughters, and also offered to take care of my two as well. Yeah. Not to homeschool them, um, but to be the the wraparound school care. Uh, and she was a Christian. Good and that friend. Was a, that was an amazing, <laughs> yeah. an amazing friend. So that was a really. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but the juggle it, for me was that when I went to work full time, I saw a lot less of the children. Mm. And if I'm, I think if, if I'm honest, having a really fulfilling full-time career, mm. I, for me personally, is not compatible with spending a lot of time with your children. Because mm. if I'm working for 12 hours a day, you know, even yeah. teenagers will be yeah. up, you know, but um, but I ha- but my husband was spending a lot of time yeah. with them. And in fact, my daughter believes that the reason we get on well as adults is that I didn't have yeah. so much <laughs> time with her as a teenager because it was more dad and he was a bit calmer than I would mm. have been. Um, so we probably didn't fight as much. So, uh, which is interesting, mm. um, but it is... There are people who've got lots of money who have lots of staff, mm-hmm. you know, to do mm-hmm. cooking and cleaning and shopping and mm-hmm. things for them. And they may be able to have carve out their quality time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for most of us, it's a matter of looking at what things we think are important. Mm-hmm. And as you say, if when somebody comes and says, ah, mommy, this happened at school. I can remember one very clear time talking to my son standing on the top. He was standing on the top stair. I was standing on the bottom stair. And we started a conversation, which went on for 45 minutes. <laughs> and I knew that if I moved, move, yeah. it would have <laughs> broken the conversation. Yeah. Um, so that the, you have to be able to um, focus in on your family, because mm. actually your job yeah. will be there. Well, that, that, that is what I constantly when, remind myself of. Actually, if I don't send this email now, it will still be there in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whereas my kids might not want to talk to me in the morning. Yeah. Um, And I'm not sure I've always got that right. And Mm. I'm not sure any of us get that right. Um, But we, you know, the fact that we try Mm. and maybe, as I've said, to talk, talking to your children, even saying, 
to the older ones, actually, I haven't had a lot of time recently. What would you like to do? Mm-hmm. Is there something we could do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they might yeah. say, like, go off and go on my own somewhere, but mm-hmm. which isn't what you want them to say. Um, I love what so you said about surrounding yourself with people that mm-hmm. are husbands or partners or friends that, that get it and that are there to support you as well. That's I live in awe of people who bring up children uh, on their own. Yeah, because 100%. I I would um, I've I've said regularly, even now we don't have children at home. If I didn't have somebody who did the shopping for me, I would mm. probably exist on jam sandwiches. Mm. <laughs> um, well, after yeah. Christmas, Phil had flu for a week, so I played single mummy for a week, and oh my goodness, just absolute hats off to anybody that is mm. yeah playing that game because oh, I was absolutely exhausted, mm. absolutely exhausted. It's relentless, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And and I suppose in certain Christian circles, I think I think society's moved on a little bit from it, but in general, but I think in certain Christian circles, I think there's sometimes a bit of an expectation of mums stay at home with the children. Uh-huh. Did did you feel there was any of a judgment of you going back to work part-time or or full-time? I think a bit. Mm-hmm. But I think I am um, um because my job is seen as a uh, valuable <laughs> so um, yes. job um, and, and a worthwhile job mm. that I don't think I got that as much as, as some of my mm. other friends did. Um, I got it. My, my mum, who is dead, who can't now sort of, you know, object to me saying Listen this. Listen to the podcast. I got it. I, um, you know, I got it for my mum. Mm. Not that I shouldn't have gone to work, yeah. but some of the ways that I was doing things with my mm. children, which was because I wasn't with them enough, yeah. um, were, you know, uh, thanks, mum. <laughs> Bless her. Uh, um, so, yeah, it, it's, I think guilt comes with the placenta. Mm. But uh, whereas the placenta just yeah. gets detached from you, the guilt somehow attaches. You yeah. can be guilty about working full time. You can be guilty about working part time. You can be guilty about not working. Absolutely. I think yeah, whatever I you do, yeah. there is guilt. Yeah. And it's, I, I would say it's guilt like that. It's not from the Lord, is it? It's, yes. it's from yeah. the other one. Yeah. Um, and so when we recognize that guilt, we can go, actually, that's that's not a godly thought. That's yeah. not a godly yeah, guilt. That's, that's not a God-given push to do something else mm. it's it's actually a negative depressing pull you down yeah. guilt yeah. and that does not come yeah, that does not come from god yeah i get what you're saying about them being guilt about not going to work as well because i'm currently a stay-at-home mum. um my youngest will start school in september and actually it's really handy being a stay-at-home mum sometimes because when they're ill you've got no stress of you know Organ- reorganizing work or whatever and it, it makes life a lot yeah. easier sometimes yeah. but I worry that I'm not being a good enough role model to them because they're both <laughs> boys and I'm like should I be modeling that women go out to work so I was like, like modeling I was no. like yeah go for it Becky <laughs> no no one wants to see this honestly um <laughs> but um yeah but so every time they sort of mention about um, daddy going to work I was like yes but I chose not to go to work I chose to stay with you to try and sort of push on them that mummy you know women don't have to stay at home yeah women don't, don't have to, to stay yeah. at home but there is a bit of a guilt there and and, and also because of my education because I, I you know I had a really good education I sometimes think am I wasting it being at home but um yeah it's guilt mm, women, women just yeah. feel guilty a lot don't they yeah, absolutely I've done both I was stay-at-home mum until um my youngest was about three so I stayed at home probably for five years and yeah, felt felt the same as you. And now I work full time and I feel guilty about that too. So. <laughs> I wasn't sure if I'd want to go back to work after mm. having my first one. And we were in a, a position 
30 years ago, 31 years ago now, um, that we could have managed just about on one income. Uh, so I went back to work just doing two mornings a week for the first few months. But by the time he was a year old, I was back working three days a week because mm. it was it was talking to adults. Yeah. Um, I'll go to work for and, a break still, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, and I and I found that was a good good balance mm. for me for a, for a number of years between two and three days a week. Mm. Um, so, yeah, but but full time is a uh, it, you you if you say yes to one thing you are automatically saying no to something else yeah. yeah so you can't say yes to lots of time with your children mm. flexible time that you can do what you want and what mm. you want what they want yeah. and you can't say yes to full-time work at, at the same yeah. time um yeah. it, you have to sort of recognize when you make one choice that there are other mm. um consequences for that and i understand that working full-time may not be a choice for some people Mm. It might be a necessity, mm. particularly absolutely. In the, you know the housing Today's, and the, the yeah. current financial yeah, state. Absolutely, yeah. That's Although the cost of childcare, actually, I think yes, you know, yeah. we say to women, you can be anything you want to be, don't yeah. you? As long as it's between the hours of nine and three term time only. Mm. I think you, we, there's been changes in terms of what's acceptable. Mm. Um, uh, you know, much more shared parenting. Yeah. Um, you know, par- you know, maybe a, a, a dad taking a four day week instead of a five day week, and that's mm. much more acceptable mm. now, so that they can do one day. Of, I, I know quite a few. Um, people with young children who are doing that mm. um, so you know one day a week is dad's one day a week is mum's mm. and one day a week is maybe grandma's mm. so they only have to pay two days a week child yeah. care or as yeah. long as your grandma's doesn't need paying <laughs> <laughs> um, but so I think that's that's much more acceptable and, and longer maternity leaves also mm. is a, um, you share it is a as thing. well can't yeah. you we found that out didn't we um, I know mm-hmm. one of our previous guests Ginny her um, husband was sharing it with her so she'd gone back when he was seven months something like that yeah yeah and he was using up the rest of her maternity leave so Mm -hmm. she could go back to work obviously depending on your um employers yes (laughs) contract i thought it was not like a national thing i think i think nationally you can share parental leave now i think it's a shared how much you get does it uh i think legally they have to if it's you're using your maternity that's separate to paternity leave so you can get three months paternity leave or two weeks paternity leave and then your company can extend paternity leave and then you can use shared parental leave to use up but it's not always paid yeah that's true which obviously limits who can can use it Mm -hmm. yeah so it feels, uh, Liz, like we can't really avoid the elephant in the room at the moment um, at the state of the NHS. Mm. Um, <laughs> but just a small question for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In your perspective, don't cry yet. Ask the question first. From your perspective, what are the current biggest pressures on the system at the moment? I did say that um, yeah, I'd cry if we talked about the NHS, mm. but I won't. Um, the danger is I rant too much. <laughs> we can edit that <laughs> out. Rant away, yeah. out. Uh, but I don't think there is one thing uh, that there are. There's a individual pressures from individual people who mm. feel they can't get what they need, mm. or what they feel they need, or actually can't get what they actually need because mm. if you've fallen over and broken your leg, you actually do need an ambulance. Mm. Um, and so that is how individuals are experiencing the pressure mm. that they can't get or have to wait a long time for mm. things. But there's also the the bigger picture, which is the reasons for that, which is the lack of staffing, lack of investment, mm-hmm. not enough GPs, not enough nurses, not enough hospital doctors, underfunding for a number of years. Mm-hmm. And that's a political issue. Um, so, you know, consider who you vote for. <laughs> um, 
it, and we we in the UK spend twenty percent less than the average spend in most other European countries. Mm. What on healthcare? Twenty percent yeah. less. Twenty percent. It's big, big difference. Isn't it's a it? big, big difference. So it's not really surprising mm. that mm. we are facing such pressures mm. on access wow. um, because the NHS is free at the point of access. But it's not really. That's not free. That's not free. It's not really able to provide what everybody wants. Mm, yeah. If you get, you know, you you will be waiting for a long time for your ambulance potentially. But you know, if you need treatment in hospital and you're acutely unwell, then you will mm. get it, and nobody's going to charge you. Mm. Um, no one. You're not going to bankrupt yourself by needing mm. a, um, a a heart bypass graft, for example, mm. um, or or treatment for cancer. Mm. Um, but it cannot provide for everybody to see the person of their choice at the time of their choosing. Mm, um, which is what Labour promised, wasn't it, really? Yeah. And that was happening, really, wasn't it? It was it was working well. Um, but I was, I was listening to The Rest of Politics, uh, which is another podcast I love with um, Alistair Campbell and Rory Stewart. And um, they were saying something like there's only been a 2% rise in funding in real terms in the last, I know, 12 years or something like that. Mm-hmm on top of an increasingly aging population mm. and and then all the other things that you were saying so they're saying you know of course there's just not yeah. the we've done the GPs there. have been incredibly successful at mm. helping people to live longer yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> there's more the of us <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thanks for that. um but what um what hasn't happened is that people are living longer and healthier. healthier so there are more unfortunately there are more lives of ill more years of ill health yeah. at that end of your life Mm. Uh, which obviously ha- people need to access healthcare for mm. that if, if they've got a number of illnesses and mm. many older people do. But is it just a case of needing more money? Presumably not. It's, you need more people right. to mm. deliver the service mm. and it's not just a doctor thing. Mm. Um, it's it's all areas of the healthcare and as we've heard a lot about it, social care as well. Mm. Um, so, it, but And you can't just suddenly provide... My, more people they have to be trained and I mentioned my daughter's a midwife um I think by the time from the number of people who started in her first year to the time they qualified and a year after qualification there was only about two-thirds of her year were still working in midwifery and now that's probably less uh, than that because it's a it's difficult and pressurized so it's not only training it's retaining those people um in a job where they feel valued and appreciated mm. and not run into the ground and not finishing every shift in tears because they haven't been able to yeah. give the care that they feel is right. And they're not making training either, are they? Because, I mean, I, I looked at retraining as a GP um, in the last couple of years and I was just like, this is this will be impossible. If I want to actually see my children mm. over the next five, six years, sorry, not retraining as a GP, retraining as a doctor, then... It, it was, you know, there was no idea, no sort of sense of, oh, there might be people with with children who, you know, they actually need to be trained in a hospital nearby. You know, it was like, you'll just be sent wherever mm, is in that particular, yeah. which, you know, and it, yeah, the, those training routes need to be made easier for mm, people mm. who might be able to. And it's not impossible. No. It's just not yet been done. No, mm. no, absolutely. And just sort of moving to back to from the system to the people using the system if that makes sense it's depressing isn't it yeah (laughs) 
but yeah. um, I suppose there's a lot of anxiety for parents, particularly yeah. at the moment. And I mean, we we've been in a preschool where scarlet fever has been um, ravaging <laughs> through. I think there's been like four or five cases of it. And um, strep A, that was a big thing. Well, that's scarlet fever, oh, isn't it? it? <laughs> yeah, same thing. Yeah. So what you know, and so many nasty chest infections, flu. flu yeah. um, do you? have any advice for parents who might be feeling particularly anxious at the moment? I understand that it's really, it's a really worrying time when your child's mm. ill. And I think a lot of parents of young children have not seen a lot of illness over mm. the last couple of years because yeah. of isolation and, and us um, keeping apart. Um, so, so that experience of, of getting your child through its first cold or mm-hmm. cough or whatever is, is being, it's all coming mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah. Lots of them are having that illness at the same time. Um, I think there's quite a lot of information online. Now, I know that's mm-hmm. not, in some, for some people, as, as good or as reassuring as a, a voice on the end of the phone or a physical mm-hmm. face-to-face a, appointment. But there is one particular um, resource that I would just like to promote, which mm. is called Frimley Healthier Together, That's and we can put website, that yeah. um, we can put that in mm. the in the show notes. But it's uh, it's an app and a website, and it is full of information about. Uh, it's a national project, but it's been mm. focused with local information as well mm. for Frimley area. Um, so if you live elsewhere, you, you know, can you can look for mm. uh, Healthier Together website. Um, and information about what are the red flags mm-hmm. if your child is um, having a seizure, if your is fitting, is mm-hmm. unconscious, if your child's got blue lips, if your child is really struggling with their breathing, mm-hmm. if this and that and that and that symptoms are happening, you need to call 99 or get to a mm-hmm. hospital immediately mm-hmm. or as quickly as you can. Then there's a whole pile of amber symptoms, um, which are if your child has these symptoms, you need to get them seen. You mm-hmm. need to get medical advice. But it might not be as urgent. It might be that you speak to 111 or you get an appointment with your GP. But if they don't have any of those symptoms, and these are all sectioned off into different, if it's a temperature, if it's cough and cold, if it's a rash, um, if it's tummy ache, if it's diarrhea and vomiting, um, and and then a lot of different symptoms. Um, If it's none of those worrying things, Mm. you can continue to manage that yourself at Mm. home safely Mm. until this point. Mm. Um, And I think a lot of people don't realize how long a lot of illnesses last. It's common for coughs to last for three weeks. Mm. It's common for fevers to last for a number of days. I think when you're in the Um, moment, you're like, oh my gosh, I can't wait like a week because he's really poorly. (laughs) And of course, there's more pressure if you're at work and you have to be off with your child. and if, if they're going to be unwell for this number of weeks, mm-hmm. and it's normal for a cough to wake children up at night. That mm. doesn't mean it's a particularly bad cough. That's sure. just normally what happens. Mm. It wakes them up mm. and because they wake up and they feel not quite right, they'll mm. want their mum or their dad. Mm. Um, so it's normal for mm. children to disturb mm. your sleep when they're poorly, yeah. unfortunately. And obviously if parents are both working and trying to juggle that, that creates more and more pressure mm. in the whole situation, makes it more difficult. I think the, um, you know, having something to look at to mm. say, is this a really worrying symptom yeah. or is this something mm. I could uh, try and manage mm. myself? Um, that, that I second that website as well, though, because my um, youngest at five weeks, um, that, that website had literally just started when he'd been born. Uh-huh. And um, I looked it up because he had a temperature of 42. 
40 degrees and he was five weeks old and it's I can't remember whether it's a red or an amber warning that he needs to go to the GP and I nearly cancelled the appointment for the GP mm-hmm. and I went in and it eventually it turned out he had viral meningitis but they thought he had sepsis mm-hmm. and he was um tachycardic and all sorts so you know he really was quite poorly but um his temperature had gone down a bit at that point and then but the other one was mottling of skin and yeah. Um, yeah, so it's a really good, really yeah. helpful website to sort of go, oh, no, he, you know, he does need to be seen. So there's, yeah. there are, it's more of a red flag for a younger baby. Mm. Um, so under six months, the temperature mm. of a 39 mm. is a more of a red flag. Mm. Under three months, it's uh, much more of a red flag. Yeah. But over um, over six months, a temperature of 39 does mm. not in itself mean that you need to run to hospital. Mm. Yeah. But as you say, the, the other mm. symptoms are... Yeah, well, the GP um, actually mm. took took it on. She sort of looked at him and said... I'm just going to phone an ambulance and I was like okay <laughs> um I yeah, think as well um, yeah. as like as mum you are better equipped than you think you yeah, are aren't instinct you? I mean, yeah I, yeah my my Samuel had sepsis when he was two and I knew I mean hindsight told tells me probably I left obviously I left it too long because that's why he got sepsis but <coughs> I, I think having having seen him like that now you know, I, I know now what is what is really poorly, whereas before I probably spent far too much time at the GP surgery because you think that they're like really poorly. But when he when he was really poorly, he was like a different child. Mm. He was unrecognisable. Yeah. He fell asleep on my lap in the waiting room. Mm. And this is a two and a half year old that had never really fallen asleep yeah. <laughs> since he yeah. was born. And mm. I was like, this is bad. This is not good. Yeah. Yeah. And. Obviously, it's a really tough time for doctors and nurses at the moment. Is there anything we can do to support that? Well, anyone in the NHS at the moment. So the whole NHS, obviously, massive organisation, yeah. and I, it's taken me a, most of my professional career to come to the realisation that I can't personally save the NHS. <laughs> I've been trying to do that for a long time. You change have, you want to be this. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> But so if we bring it down to an individual level, mm. um, a while ago, somebody I knew who was a Christian, had, I, they'd had to wait quite a long time in the waiting room to see me. And they came in and they said, don't worry about the fact I was waiting, doctor. I, I've been praying for you while I was Aww. waiting. Aww. And I just thought that is so amazing mm. because so if I could ask you mm. and, and people who are listening that if you are waiting or you just get a thought that pops into your head, I might pray for this person. Mm. If you're waiting to be seen anywhere, then... Pray for the people, for the staff there. Mm. Pray God's blessing on them. Pray that they'll have um, wisdom in the decision making, mm. that they'll have clarity, mm. that they'll be able to get a wee break and a tea mm. break. Because mm. <laughs> sometimes even in general practice, that's difficult. Um, and I found that I found that so encouraging. Mm. So when I know that some of my patients mm. who are Christians, I, I sort of say, mm. I, I actually ask them to pray for me. Mm. Um, said it'd be really appreciated, you know, when if you do have to wait, just just pray for me while you're waiting. I'd really love that. Mm. Um, and I can't think anybody would turn that down, to be honest. So <laughs> on an individual yeah. basis, that's, you know, that that would be my, my thing. That's doctors, so that's a, I love that. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I mean, God is big enough to change the whole of the NHS. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we know that. And... Uh, and we can pray about the big things. We can mm. pray about the massive worldwide things yeah. as well. Um, but it's, uh, you know, on an individual level, it's probably easier mm. to pray yeah. that your doctor's <laughs> going to be blessed today. Yeah, absolutely. And you might have more faith for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, talking of praying, mm-hmm. 
Shall I pray for you? Can I pray for you, Liz? May I pray? You can't really say no, can you? (laughs) Can I pray for you? No. (laughs) I would love to pray for you. (laughs) Dear Lord God, we are so thankful for Liz and for Simon and for the children, Lord. We're so thankful for everybody that commits so much um, time and effort into serving in our NHS, Father, whether they know you or not. Mm. Lord God, we're we're thankful for Liz this morning for her wisdom and her insight and her honesty as well, Lord. We just pray that you would really um, walk with her in this, in her um, in her job, in her home life, in her still mothering an empty nest. Mm. We thank you for her and everything that she means to so many different people. And we do pray massive blessing on her, on her colleagues, and on everybody navigating the NHS at the moment. Mm. Amen. 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 Oh, thank you so much, Liz. That's been a fascinating really conversation. Fascinating. And I think the thing I'm going to take most of me is your um, thing about watching TV with your kids and how you, yeah. how you react to things. Um, watching it, like, yeah, I think that's mm-hmm. a piece of wisdom I shall hold on to for many years. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I think it's for me. It's it's like listening when they <laughs> want to talk. Yeah, <laughs> which you know I've heard before, but you know sometimes you just pick it up and you think, yeah, no, I, I do need to work on that definitely. Mm. Oh well, thank you so much, Liz. Yeah, Take care. Liz. Bye. Oh, I love speaking to people who've been who are through the other side of yeah. having children at home yeah i agree <laughs> i feel like i want to uh, cultivate my friendship with liz a bit more so that when i'm actually in the middle of it i can be like oh but she said this what do i do does she hate me <laughs> i have because i have been starting to um help out with youth group again after a few years and i have realized teenagers aren't quite as scary as i used as i thought maybe a year i ago. love hanging out with teenagers yeah. i just really don't want a parent one <laughs> I realise I'm kind of in a bit too deep to yeah. <laughs> to not do that. But. Yeah, sorry, Helen. And you've not got long to go now. All right. <laughs> five oh. years. Is it five years? Uh, yeah, yeah, five years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's the secondary school bit. That's going to be the bit that like really oh, I freaks know. me out. They, they, they start, I remember being a teacher and when they come into year seven, they're all sweet and innocent. Yeah. And by year eight, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Can we swear? No, probably not. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, super. Well, um, that was great. And we will see you next week. Thanks for listening. Remember, all the links that we've talked about today can be found on our show notes. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do remember to hit subscribe if you haven't done already. And even better, you can help us reach a wider audience by giving a quick review on whichever platform you're listening on. See you next time. Bye. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, anything that's your bodily fluid. So if you've got something that's highly pungent and aromatic that you've Mm. eaten, this really is blue pink. Then, you know, it'll come out in your sweat, it'll come out in your breath, your wee can smell different, your poo is different. We talked about curry sweat. You said curry sweat. Your vaginal secretions will taste different. Oh. And we, yeah, no, let's not. So so we can stop at that point. (laughs)